This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. One of the most famous songs and delighted songs of yesteryear was, And He Walks With Me and He Talks With Me and He Tells Me I Am His Own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Most people don't have that kind of a relationship with the Lord, and neither do they have that kind of relationship with their spouse or with anybody else, quite frankly. We're living in a time in which relationships are in deep, deep trouble. It's not just the nation that's in trouble. It's not just the economy. It's not just the southern border. It's not just foreign policy. No, it's our policies and our practices right in our own homes. They say that home is where the heart is. But if you look at most of the homes around us today, you'd wonder whether that was even true. Why? Whatever happened to the heart in the home? And if something has happened to the heart in the home, it tells us that something dramatic has happened in our relationships. Maybe... While Klaus Schwab talks about a great reset that he's trying to bring about in the world economy, maybe you and I should take the hint and talk about the great reset that is needed in our relationships with our spouses, with our kids, our grandchildren, our neighbors, and pastors, even with our parishioners. So today on Viewpoint, we have a very special conversation. It's called Relational Reset, Unlearning the Habits that Hold You Back, which means we have to learn some others. And our special guest, Dr. Laurel Schaller, a uh, professor, I would never know that, looking at her gorgeous picture on the back of her book, a national certified counselor and licensed social worker associate professor at Liberty University, where she serves as the director of the Master of Arts in Professional Counseling Program. And having chatted with her briefly before the program, I believe that she has some real heart message for us. Relational Reset, uh, Dr. Laurel Schaller, joining us here on Viewpoint today. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great. And uh, when I first saw your book, I didn't have to look at anything about it. Many times uh, we receive probably uh, 10, 15 books a week from publishers, and uh, many of them uh, are so pop culture-ish in their presentations that I just have to look at them to see if they're even worthy of our conversation on serious issues here on this program. But when I saw the title of your book, it immediately caught me, Laurel, and indeed, we desperately need a relational reset, don't we? Yes, we absolutely do. I think a, a lot of us are just tired of struggling because of relationship difficulties. Um, maybe we have strained or broken relationships, uh, or we're having difficulty with feeling insecure or, or always offended or constantly afraid of rejection. There's a lot of a lot of us, a lot of a lot of individuals, whether it's with their their spouses, their children, their parents, their neighbors, their colleagues, 
whoever it may be that they're struggling in a relationship with. So um, we, we definitely need some help in the relationship department. Well, we used to think that the problems were all psychological and maybe spiritual or a combination of the two, but now heaped on top of it are political differences and uh, all other kinds of differences, economic differences. Uh, it's almost as if we're challenged at every level to come into agreement with anything. Yes, absolutely. And that is a, a major issue in relationships these days, especially. It used to be that no one talked about uh, religion or politics, and now it seems that's all anyone can talk about. And certainly as a believer, I'm going to share my faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but the fact that there are people that might become angry or defensive or you know, don't even want to have any communication with you just because they don't agree with something that you've said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's a real problem. And we also oftentimes look to other people as being as having all the issues themselves when sometimes we have to take a, a hard look at ourselves and determine what can we do different in the relationship. Well, it's very hard to look in the mirror, isn't it? Yep, it really is. Isn't it interesting we can see in others so easily what we cannot see in ourselves? And one of the things that's so fascinating about our current politics is it seems that we become experts in projection. We project on other people the very motivations and uh, evil in our own heart and somehow use that to justify what we do. We do that in our relationships, too, don't we? We really do, yes. We say that we want others to be tolerant, but really we are the ones that are intolerant. And that could be across a whole wide spectrum of issues, I would say. Yeah. Now, you uh, come to us as a, a professing expert. You're a professor, and uh, you've written a book. And as a good trial lawyer... When I brought on an expert witness to testify, I always had to qualify them as an expert witness. So you have uh, not only gone to college, but you have graduated, gotten a special degree in counseling, and have been doing that for some period of time. Tell us about it. Sure. And, of course, I, I so appreciate that the lawyer talk. My father was uh, an attorney for uh, over 35 years, so mm. um, I always appreciate talking to attorneys. Thank you. I know. I'm not very many people say that, right? Well, I, I know you're trying to establish a good relationship. You're doing a relational reset, aren't you? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, but um, yes, but I have a master's degree in social work as well as a mm-hmm. master's degree in theology, and I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision. And I'm a licensed professional counselor and a licensed social worker as well as a national certified counselor. So um, that's kind of the um, expert place that I've that I've come from and mm-hmm. and also I'm just a, a human being in in a lot of relationships myself so I've kind of learned learned some of this the hard way too All right now you're married I am I've been married for almost 19 years Good for you and you have a daughter Yes we actually have two children now we have a daughter uh, who is 5 and a son that's 2 Okay so you are qualified uh in the area of marital and mom experience Yes <laughs> all right, so we've got it all nailed down, don't we? I think so. All right. At least for now. <laughs> for now. One of the things that uh, you didn't know about me is that uh, I also went to a uh, a Christian college, and uh, I was majoring in psychology, actually. And uh, for me, 
by the end of my junior year, I decided, you know what, this just isn't fitting for me. I was going to go into counseling. I was going to go into clinical psychology and so on. And uh, that senior year, I went to a business law class at a junior college, and it changed the whole trajectory of my life. <laughs> so, yet I still have that background in psychology and understand very well where y'all are coming from. And uh, so we're going to blend them together. Is that okay? Yes, that's great. All right. So why are you so insistent that we need a relational reset? Well, again, I, I think so, so often we have difficult time communicating. We are, we feel misunderstood and uh-huh. defensive. Uh, we're the ones that, you know, struggle with this insecurity and, again, feeling easily offended. Oh, wait so, a minute. You're hitting a lot of buzzwords. We're going to have to open those up after this break. Okay, Hang in there, great. Laurel. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today's broadcast, I believe, is going to change somebody's life. I really do. As you listen and you hear with your heart, your life is going to change. Of course, it's going to require a reset in some of your patterns, some of your ways, some of your responses, some of your values and intentions, but there's hope ahead. And that's what our program is about here today with Dr. Laurel Schaller and her book, Relational Reset. Before we go further, I want to make it available to you because it covers so many important issues. It talks about insecurity. It talks about offenses. It talks about straight talk versus, uh, shall we say, dancing around the truth talk, dismissing blame, envy, fear, judgment, the past, a relational reset, so many different things, including insecurity. That's a big one. Here's the book, Relational Reset, $15. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And we're going to get this life-changing, restoring book in your hands, Relational Reset. Dr. Laura Schaller joining us here uh, concerning this book and the message that's contained in it, which is absolutely essential today. Why is it so important? What about this insecurity and hypersensitivity that we're feeling in our culture and that's bouncing around in our relationships today? Right. So everyone is insecure about something. Uh, maybe it's a physical appearance, intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, worthiness to be loved, whatever the case may be. Wait, wait, are you, are you making a con- confession, Laura? <laughs> well, I'm insecure too. I think we're all insecure at some some point, yeah. to some degree, right? There's always something, isn't there? 
there's always something. And of course, it doesn't help when we, we mix in social media and mm-hmm. just having constant, constantly having eyes on us. And of course, you know, we contribute to that by putting ourselves out there into the world. Um, but it's really important to differentiate between like self-esteem and self-worth because mm-hmm. we can start to silence that insecurity by cultivating our self-worth. But we know that the self-esteem is temperamental. It changes. Um, it, it, how you feel about yourself changes really quickly, depending on whatever's going on in your circumstances and in mm-hmm. your life. But that self-worth has much deeper roots because that's who we identify ourselves as at the core. Mm-hmm. And we have to look at, you know, who we are. We're created in the image of God. Right. And, we, and when we look at being fearfully and wonderfully made by Him, that's who we really are at the at, at our core. Uh, so we we have to look at self esteem versus self worth, and how we can silence that insecurity by really focusing on who we were created to be, regardless of what the world thinks about us or, or says about us. And especially in t- today's society, where saying you know the one wrong thing or making a misstep, mm-hmm. and your whole life can kind of blow up before you. Yeah. So. When the scripture says that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, uh, most people take that to mean not to think highly or in accordance of any favor for ourselves, but to develop a sense of false humility uh, because God resists the proud. The problem is that if we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, then we should probably consider how highly should we think and why. Yeah, that's that's a great point that we do have to, you know, examine, you know, ourselves and explore who we who we are again, who we were created to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, the self-esteem versus the self-worth, those are different. I know that I'm worthy because, you know, I'm a beloved child of the king. So I'm I'm worthy of his love. And even if others don't view me that way, I know that that's because that's what he said about me mm-hmm. versus that self-esteem, which is, oh, did I get enough likes on Facebook today or something wow. like that? Or if I get into a conflict with a, you know, with a friend um, and I'm like, oh, maybe they don't like me. They didn't invite me to that to that event. I, oh, what have I done? And I just mm-hmm. spend all this time racking my brain over that. Yeah. And so, it builds more and more hyper insecurity. So you would disagree yeah. with the late Dr. Robert Schuler who made a very fascinating statement, which I believe is totally heretical, and that is we don't need more we don't need to tell people they're sinners. We just need more self esteem. Mm-hmm. He said that. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that because I do believe that, you know, I mean, if if there were no sinners then Jesus died for nothing, right? Exactly. I mean, obviously, yes, we are sinners, we do sin. Um, and it's, to me, it's really not about self-esteem. I'm just not a fan of that expression. I, mm-hmm. I try and help people look at their, their self-worth. Um, and when I say self-worth, it's really the worth that how they view themselves in light mm-hmm. of who they are. Um, in, in light of God's viewpoint of exactly, them as portrayed 100%. in the scripture. Okay. Now, one subject that is a corollary to insecurity is being offended. And if there's anything that now characterizes American society is hyperventilated offense. Everybody is taking offense at everything. Even the slightest things, they call them micro offenses. What do you make of that? 
Well, you know, the word also says that if you go go around looking for offenses, you'll find them. So we have our feelings hurt easily, frequently. Um, maybe other people have to walk on eggshells around us. We constantly want other people to apologize. We, we really do live in an age where so many people are so easily offended. And this isn't making an excuse for, you know, poor behavior or people doing things that, that they shouldn't do or, right. you know, being, being hurtful or harmful to people. But at some point, we have to say, wait a minute, is this me? Am, am I getting too upset too easily? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I should is to toughen up my skin a little bit and just accept that, you know, people might might say things or do things that I don't like or um, that I don't agree with, but that doesn't mean that that has to, to damage, you know, the relationship that I have with them. Laurel, um, what's your husband's name? My husband's name's Nick. Nick? Yes. Well, now, I dare say, not even knowing Nick, that you and he do not always see eye to eye. That is a true statement. Now, are there times when your differences of viewpoint uh, kind of take on the nature of maybe feeling offended? Sure. Okay. So the problem is not that we can feel offended or be in a, in a situation where things feel offensive or somebody said something in a way that was offensive. The issue is not what happened. It's how I respond to what happened, isn't it? Absolutely. Are we going to just, you know, say goodbye to a, a to a friendship, or uh, you know, allow that to become a crater in our marriage because mm. we're offended by something, or are we going to really take some time to think through that process, through that, recognize this is not that big of a deal, um, and I can let this go? And there are times where maybe you. you in your own ability, you can't let something go. And, you know, of course, we need to turn those things over to the Lord. And- mm-hmm. Well, somehow we have lost our uh, special guest. This is the nature of live broadcasting. And I trust that uh, somehow we will be reconnected. I certainly hope so, because uh, Dr. Laurel uh, Schaller has an awful lot of wonderful things to say. And uh, her book is called Relational Reset. And again, it covers so many of the important aspects of our lives, very, very critically important. And uh, we're talking about, we've been talking about insecurity uh, and silence that is manifesting that insecurity. And if we're just totally silent, uh, we fall away from the responsibility of being responsive in our marriages, uh, in other relationships. And that silence can be devastating, absolutely devastating. So we need a reset. And if our habit pattern is such that we, Laurel, are we seeing you? Hmm. I wonder if she's been involved in an electrical storm. We'll see. So when we find ourselves being silent when we should actually say something uh, to bridge over a particular matter, whether it be an offense, whether it be in our insecurity, uh, what we actually are doing is increasing the difficulty of bridging the gap. So we need to be uh, like Simon Garfunkel uh, saying in their song, a bridge over troubled water. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. We need to do that. 
We need to do that every day. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. You see, if we're truly Christians, it means that we're going to conduct ourselves very differently. We're going to respond to issues differently. We're going to respond to offenses differently. And when we offend, then we're going to be willing to humble ourselves and ask forgiveness. Not just to say, I'm sorry, but to actually ask forgiveness. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? To actually ask forgiveness. Jesus said, if you will not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Wow. That's one of the most powerful scriptures, one of the most poignant scriptures in the whole Bible. If we will not forgive others their trespasses or offenses against us, neither will our heavenly Father forgive us. That means there's something that you and I, if we're professing followers of Christ, need to be doing in order to display what we say we believe. And if we're not, Jesus says, you don't really believe it. Not really. You don't really believe it. Now, there's another thing about offenses, and it's an interesting thing. Maybe it's a good thing that... uh I've had such a long experience, not only with the study of psychology, but then also in pastoring and writing over these many years, and uh, now 27 years on the air. By the way, the 27th year was completed on May 7th, May 7th. And so here we are launching into the next uh, year of broadcasting. What a privilege. But Another aspect about offenses that is very, very important, my wife and I have had to learn this the hard way, and that is there are many people who will take up the offenses of others. They're not just offended for themselves, they'll take up the offenses of others. This is an extremely serious problem. In fact, it's one of the most relational, destroying problems that there is. And oftentimes, people will justify taking up the offense of others. They'll just justify it. Why would they justify it? Well, because they have tender feelings about another person, or they think that they were wronged, or this, that, or the other. Always a reason. Entire churches have been broken up. The relationship within entire churches have been broken up because one or more people took up the offense of others. They thought they were doing well, but they weren't. They weren't willing to allow God to deal with the other issues as between the parties. They had to intervene and superimpose their profound wisdom and take up the offense and thereby divide friendships, divide relationships, and in fact divide entire congregations. Maybe you have a story like that. Maybe you can relate to that. Now, the same thing happens in families. For instance, you have a husband, you have a wife, and you have the kids. And the husband and the wife disagree about something. Maybe it's about discipline. Maybe it's about uh, something, a privilege 
or lack thereof that should be given to the children. Who knows what it is? There are many different kinds of things. And so there's a disagreement between the husband and the wife. So the husband and or the wife, depending on the situation, may actually take up the offense of a child against the other parent. Now, we have to be really careful about this because uh, it requires a great deal of humility for both husband and wife to realize that others might have a point of view that is worth considering. But, but, uh, that may not be what we're willing to do. And when we're not willing to do that, oftentimes we'll take up the offense of a child. And when we do that, we're dividing a marriage, a family, and even a congregation. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Do you have fear? Fear in your relationships? Fear, say, in your uh, marital relationship, uh, relationship with your kids? Uh, pastors fearing their congregations don't think don't think they don't uh, they do uh, politicians fear their parishioners excuse me their uh, uh, their public uh, fear is a universal threat uh, in our relationships and if we allow fear to take dominion uh, it can prevent us from continuing on with a relationship it can it can prevent us from even forming a relationship and the Bible says that fear has torment. Fear has torment. So what do you fear? Do you fear, for instance, that your husband may not react well to you as a wife? Do you fear that your wife may not react well to you? Do you fear that your neighbor may not react well to you, so therefore you take no effort whatsoever to build that relationship or seek to bridge over any troubled water there, there might be between those relationships? And how about the fear of inadequacy? You fear inadequate. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You see... Feeling inadequate is one thing. Being inadequate is another. If you feel inadequate, it may have something to do with your being. It may have something to do with how you think. It may have something to do with the fact that you're not willing to take reasonable risks in the context of a relationship. 
and fear has torment. Many, many people are tormented by fear. But how about the fear of rejection? Think about that. Fear of rejection, that's one of the most powerful ones. Who, who wants to be rejected? Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to be rejected. And, uh, you know, um, my wife, my dear wife, uh, grew up in a situation where she felt often rejected. She felt often rejected. Okay, well, that set up a habit pattern of fear of rejection. So when somebody develops a habit pattern of a fear of rejection, what are they going to do? Well, they can either continue to operate in the fear of rejection or they can seek to overcome the fear of rejection and therefore change the habit pattern. But it's going to take a while. The fear of rejection didn't start overnight. It began over time. Isn't that right, Laurel? Yes, that, that is correct. I mean, when, when we are afraid of rejection, it's rooted in something, likely rooted in something that we've experienced maybe as a part of our childhood or even in our, in our adult years mm-hmm. where we've actually been rejected. And so that just cultivates this ongoing fear. Yeah. So we've talked about... Uh, uh, in your absence, we've talked about offenses. We've talked about a whole different aspect of offenses, like taking offense. Uh, it's one thing to be offended. It's another thing to take offenses on behalf of others. And uh, we've talked about how destructive that can be. I've watched it destroy whole congregations where someone taking up the offense of another, seeming to be acting in love, they actually destroyed numerous relationships. It's a very dangerous thing, isn't it? Yes, I I think that's a great point. That's not one that I have, you know, really thought much about. But you're right. When we are not just focused on being offended on behalf of ourselves, but now we're being offended on behalf of other people, um, that can be dangerous territory. Well, isn't that the whole racism thing now? People pretending to be take up the offense of others and cause everybody else to be a racist. And there's no way that you can avoid the accusation, because if you do, then they say, see, that proves you're a racist. Yeah, I think we have to look at the heart, don't we? Like, what what's really, you know, at the heart of someone's intention behind mm-hmm. kind of taking up the cause? I mean, obviously, there are times that, you know, we, we, we speak on behalf of others, but what is our motivation? And, and ultimately, is it a God-given motivation and a biblical one? How about blame? Where does that fit? Ooh, yeah, it's it's never fun to be around blamers, right? Um, <laughs> well, th- wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got a blamer in the White House. <laughs> well, Cloud and Townsend said that blamers have a character problem, so <laughs> we don't want to be uh, around blamers. <laughs> when somebody always wants to say that it's our fault for everything going wrong or they just can't take responsibility, um, you know, they're not fun to be around. So we have to look at ourselves and say, well, are, are we a blamer? Are we somebody who tends to um, not accept responsibility? Are we not able to say I was wrong or it's mm. my fault or to apologize? 
Um, and even where, if we're not 100% to blame for something, we can at least ask ourselves, what level of responsibility do we have for this conflict? And can we own up to that piece? Mm-hmm. Um, so many bridges can be built if we're just willing to recognize in ourselves what, what, what aspect of this is on us. Yeah. Uh, this is a big deal. And uh, there, somebody has said there's enough blame to go around. Well, that's true. But the question is, are we owning up to our own responsibility and willing to ask forgiveness? It's one thing to say, I'm sorry. But usually somebody who says, I'm sorry, is just feeling bad for themselves and they want to get it off their, off their shoulder. But to ask forgiveness means you have to take responsibility for what you're asking the person to forgive you for. Well, that's right. I think we both know a lot of people who get caught doing something wrong are all of a sudden tremendously sorry for what they've done. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like about 100 politicians out there right, right now. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think we have to recognize that that it's not just about, oh, I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry that you're upset with me, but if I'm genuinely sorry for something that I've done to harm you, that I'm able to mm-hmm. recognize that. Um, and not just blame other people. But also, even when we haven't done anything, you know, criminal, but when we're just not taking that responsibility to cultivate a healthy relationship, when we're not, you know, giving our spouse the attention um, that, that they need and deserve, or, you know, we're putting other things above our family, other things or other people above our family, um, and it's, well, it's not my fault. Everybody, you know, I got asked to do this thing at the church or the school needs me to do this. And it's like, but we have to, again, take responsibility and recognize what's most important and what relationships are most important. You know, I'm pro-choice. That is pro-choice from the standpoint we all have to make choices. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you didn't mean the other way. No, I didn't mean the other way. The problem is that an awful lot of people are not pro-choice in the areas they need to be pro-choice, and so they cast blame. I'm not responsible. The devil made me do it, or or yes. it was the devil. It was the demons under the chair, or it was uh, that woman you gave me. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yep, goes back to the garden. <laughs> All right, uh, envy is a big deal. I don't know if you realize it, but if we track the word envy through the Bible, we find. It was envy that caused Joseph to be sold into Egypt by his brothers, who were the children of Israel. It was envy that caused uh, Jesus to be crucified. Pontius Pilate said so. It was but for envy they brought him. The Bible says it was for envy from the very same people that crucified Jesus that they persecuted and killed all the apostles, including the apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Envy is a horrific, destructive element, isn't it? Yes, it's the old green-eyed monster. Uh, <laughs> and you're right. You look all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you see the, um, in fact, so much death, right, that took place, so mm-hmm. much murder that took place as a result of people just being jealous of other people and of what they have. And, I mean, there's, you know, a reason that thou shalt not covet is one of the Ten Commandments, and yet we do, and we go after the things that we want, and um, we allow, you know, rifts to come between us and other people uh, when we're jealous of them. Um, In fact, I just had a, a friend share today about a family situation where somebody told her that 
she was jealous, and it, it was um, so hurtful to her because that wasn't in her heart. But so often it is. It, it is in our hearts, and we have to recognize, you know, when that's there and to work to remove that from ourselves so that it doesn't cause further damage. Well, another thing, you mentioned the word jealousy. Uh, I think we tend to conflate the two words, envy and jealousy. I'm not sure that they meet exactly the they, same. Right, they don't. But, yeah. but let's talk about the jealousy aspect. Uh, let's suppose that a, a husband uh, spends a fairly considerable amount of time fraternizing with other women, whether it's at a party, whether it's at a church gathering, uh, wherever, and tends to show an inordinate level of uh, affection while spending relatively little time with his wife. What is that going to produce? Mm, that's going to produce an angry wife. Well, it's it's going to produce an angry wife, but it's driven by fear of rejection and envy or jealousy, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And the same is true if a woman is cavorting with other men, maybe at the workplace, maybe around the uh, the coffee machine or whatever. I think as husbands and wives, we have to be very cautious about how we are displaying ourselves in relationship to others, particularly the opposite sex, because of the danger that can happen to our relationships. Definitely. And you mentioned, you know, anger and fear. And, you know, I, I would say that jealousy is defined as wanting to keep what we angrily fear we might lose, whereas mm. envy is wanting to gain what we don't have. So I kind of think of them like as twin sisters. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Now, a lot of people, particularly in the area of, uh, shall we say, referencing Freudian psychology, would take us down into the deep labyrinthine trails of the past. And we have to delve into every devious negative thought that we ever had in order to come free and live in uh, with a relational reset. Is that really true? Or are there many dangers, hidden snares in all of that? Reserve that answer for after the break. We'll be right back, friends. Relational reset. We've got a lot of habits that have to be broken. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Shakespeare once said something like this, that the past is prologue to the future, or you might say, the past is prophecy for the present and the future. Is that true? Does it have to be true? 
How much weight should we give to the past? And should we continue to delve into the past or where it paralyzes us from freedom in the present? What say you, Laura? I think there are so many variables in order to answer that question, but I'll tell you that what comes to my mind is 2 Corinthians 10.5, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And mm-hmm. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I, I love that passage of Scripture, by the way. It's so important. Yes, it, it really is, just being able to make our thoughts obedient to Christ. And I think that applies, you know, we know it applies to every thought, and that can even, you know, be based on things that we've experienced in our past. So it's not to say that we, we don't have to look at the things from the past, because sometimes we do have junk that comes up that gets in the way of us fully mm-hmm. living in the present. But we also know that, like Paul, we have to press we have to press on. We have to press on towards the prize that we've been called to. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there are ways that we can cope with our thoughts. Um, you know, we can journal about them. We can... Um, read scripture that reminds us of um, focusing on again who we are. We can ask the Lord to help us overcome the the harmful the harmful thoughts mm-hmm. that are uh, contributing to negative emotions. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, and that goes for women right. too. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems to me, though, that there's a tendency for people to place blame on their past in order to relieve them of responsibility in the present. That is so common. It's so common, it, and it kind of goes back to instead of the devil made me do it, but my past <laughs> made me do it, right? Right, right. my and past some, made me do it. My past made me do it. And sometimes it, it, it's an explanation, and it helps us to understand, you know, maybe some of what contributed to someone's personality or to, you know, their behaviors. But ultimately, we have to decide how we're going to to act and interact with others, and we can't always blame our past and allow it to have that negative impact today, um, because it's just going to—it's like holding yourself your own head underwater, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to produce anything beneficial if we do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to share something with you. Uh, several years ago, the Lord led me to write a book called "Hearts of the Fathers." leaving a legacy that lasts. And it was built on Malachi chapter 4, where the Bible says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, in other words, the second coming of Christ, where he pours out his wrath on the children of disobedience, before that day, God, in his mercy and by his grace, would raise up the voice of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. We're living in a a time which, according to not only Christian observers, but all secular observers are admitting that fatherlessness is the overarching issue of our times. So, in that context, what God has called us to do as men is to be godly fathers, but more important to that, to be the spiritual leaders of our home. Well, here's what happened. When that book, Hearts of the Fathers, came out, which was about five or six years ago, two-thirds of all of those books have been purchased by women. Now, why do you think that is? Well, one, women do purchase more books. <laughs> but also that they <laughs> Oh, <do. laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> but also that they, 
they see the problem. They're they're living in these homes, right? They're mm-hmm. they're, they're, ha- they're single mothers. They're raising children, and they're trying to. I would say trying to learn uh, more about the problem and and trying to fix it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just the single mothers; it's the married mothers. The number one cry of Christian women for the past 25 or 30 years as I have gone back and forth across the country is, why can't or won't my husband be the spiritual leader of our home? Mm. That's serious stuff. Yes, very. So it would seem to me that if we're going to have a relational reset from God's viewpoint, that has to be one of the biggest issues we deal with. Why? can't we seem to overcome why can't husbands become the leaders of their home are the wives superseding them in spiritual leadership are they taking dominion and depriving the husbands of that role what's going on here yeah i don't know that i have an answer for that question now wait a minute you're the le professeur (laughs) you're supposed to have the answer for every student's questions i wish you know i always say i if I don't know an answer, I can try and get the answer for you. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes there, sometimes there are so many uh, different variables that play into circumstances such as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there, there has in our society, there's been a um, an attitude of trying to, you know, putting men down, and so mm-hmm. that certainly um, applies and is relevant here. Sure. Um, you How know, about the fact that men refuse to read? I think that that's definitely relevant, and, and first and foremost, are they, and, and, and women too, but, but it, are, are people in the Word of God? You know, mm-hmm. are we reading our Bibles? Are we spending enough time there? Are we reading our Bibles to our children enough? Are we going to church and taking our families to church? And are we modeling the relationship of Christ to His church in our own families? Absolutely. Isn't that where the real heart of all of this re- relational reset has to go? We have to first connect with God and have a solid and strong relationship with Him, our well, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in order to really have any other healthy relationship. Well, some people would say, I think most Christians would say, well, I have that. I confess Christ as my Savior at that Billy Graham rally 40 years ago, and I'm in like Flint. So uh, don't bother me about that. And besides, I go to church two or three times a month, and uh, so I'm cool. Uh, don't bother me with that. What's wrong with that thinking? Well, do you are you making him the Lord of your life? Mm. You know, are you praying without ceasing? Are you going to him first and foremost about everything that goes on? Uh, when you have a problem, are you going to the Lord first? Or are you going and talking to somebody else? Are you stirring up the gossip train about that that problem? Are you leading your family in that kind of submission to God's word, will, and ways? Yeah, because our children, I mean. Th- they're watching our every move, and we have such a tremendous impact, and it's not just what we say. So often it is what we do. So are they able to follow us down that path? And if it's not that path, it's another one. You have a chapter called Let God. Uh, follows the, uh, the line, let go and let God. Well, what I've discovered, Laurel, is that many Christians want to let go and think God's going to do everything, and nothing ever changes, because they don't want to change. They don't want a relational reset. 
They just want to continue on the way they want to continue on because it's too much effort, too much trouble. I just don't want to get into it. What say you? Well, you know, when I was thinking about let God, a big part of that had to do with not taking things on ourselves that we shouldn't, such as getting even, you know, Mm -hmm. um, allowing God, you know, it says in Proverbs, don't say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. So, right. you know, making sure that In other words, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Yes. So don't and, you try to in, uh, import vengeance on your spouse or your friend or your neighbor. Right, because it can really consume us and that we have to let God have that control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean in all areas of our lives we should just sit back and, you know, have the TV turned on, right? And and our relationships, we have to be proactive. And, and in our relationship with the Lord, like, you know, obviously, you know, we're not saved by works, but we, we in order to have a healthy relationship with Him, we, you know, we do have to um, invest that time and energy and effort into developing that and cultivating that relationship. It doesn't just happen. You mentioned uh, the early form of technology, that began to take over our country in the 1950s called TV. Uh, Now we call it social media and uh, cell phones and all other kinds of devices. How is that upsetting our relationships in our families? Oh, so much, so much. We could talk for an hour about that, couldn't we? We really could. You know, one of the things that I think so often we get onto social media because we have a desire to be seen. But if we would remember that, like God saw Hagar, he sees each of us as well. Mm. And instead of focusing on what other people think of us, we have to focus on what he thinks about us. So I think it's, and it becomes just a black hole, right? I mean, right. it's just, it's never ending. How about and, the time factor? Yes. The you time. know, years ago, uh, the Lord gave me a little phrase about all relationships, including marriages, uh, time together, talking, thinking, thanking, and tenderly touching. But the first one is time. Time, oh, good, good time. Where have you gone? Said the song back in the 1970s. Time. Isn't that essential for a relational reset? And it's something that we can never get back once it's gone. Exactly. And we, we spend it so often on, on things that are inconsequential. Uh, and, you know, that quality time, that's why it's, it's considered one of the five love languages by mm-hmm. Dr. Gary Chapman. Um, that yeah. you know, quality time is so important. So... Quality time also is going to involve quantity time to some extent. And that cannot be fulfilling if you're all glued to cell phones around the table in a restaurant or at home or glued to the television at home all the time, can it? No, and there's there's this picture that I've used as I've been teaching, and it's of a couple lying back to back and they're both looking at their cell phones and just showing like you know isn't that how so many you know people live um and and there have been times i've been guilty of it as well allowing myself to spend too much time on on my cell phone or on social media so setting Mm -hmm. those boundaries it's not just about boundaries with people but it's about boundaries and time as well yeah now laurel uh dr laurel schaller uh give us a final word uh 
anything that we've missed, something that really is on your heart uh, to speak to us about resetting. You talk about habits. They say it takes 21 days to reset a habit. What do we do? How do we get about this re- relational reset? It's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to know, go, how about doing it and then doing it? Yes. So I think, first of all, we really have to be praying, reading the Word, seeking godly counsel, um, surrounding ourselves with people with whom we have a good relationship, because oftentimes we're more concerned about what's not going well in our lives than mm-hmm. we are focusing on what is going well. So it allows good point. us... You know, it consumes us. We lose focus on the positives. We become highly anxious, overwhelmed, stressed out. So sometimes we have to really stay focused on what's going well and um, meeting with pastors, professional counselors to help us. Um, but kind of doing that assessment of our of each of us, taking that good, long, hard look at ourselves and mm-hmm. what can I do to um, improve the relationships in my life? Do I need to address my own disappointments in my life? Do I need to... To, to recognize where I'm blaming others or where I'm being offended or even where I'm insecure. I think it starts with that self-assessment and being mm-hmm. willing to make changes with the Lord's help that would help you uh, improve all the relationships in your life. Yeah. No wonder Jesus' brother James said that the Word of God is like a mirror. <laughs> if you take a look at that mirror and you see what kind of a person you are and then close the book and forget what you actually saw, uh, you're not going to get a relational reset, are you? No, you're not. We we have to, to be clear about, uh, you know, our areas of weakness and actually work towards making some changes and being being assertive, you know, mm-hmm. in, in our communication with others, just being clear and upfront what's there going on. All right, friends. The book, Relational Reset. My producer says I'm supposed to have offered this for $13. It's a $15 book. $13 will put it in your hands. Well worth it, my friend. It will change your life if you listen, if you follow. You want a relational reset? Here you go. This is the tool. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Friends, you want to talk about saving America? We need a relational reset in our own homes. Right? You agree? You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.